if someone could close the doors um, going into the sanctuary, so if you have to exit, people can go the other way out. Um, all right. Well, hey, it's great to have you guys here and to spend a bit of time talking about who we are as a, as a church, as a family, and what we're all about, what's going on this semester. And, uh, you know, I thought about what do we do as an overview? What do we do as a, as a launch meeting? How do we do this? I didn't want to spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes just telling you about all the new programmatic stuff. Uh, we didn't, you know, here's what we're, this new thing that we're doing, or here's where you go for this or that. But instead, I wanted to pull out a few more things from our passage this morning, as well as from the book of Ephesians in general, and then tie some of the new things that we're doing, some of the old things that we're doing uh, that we're restarting, and tie those to some of the things that we're learning uh, this morning or will learn in Ephesians as we go through it, um, and how they prompt us to live Christianly, to live on mission, uh, to be a part of InTown. So I'm going to give you just a, a quick kind of uh, dip into some different topical areas, and then we'll, we'll break them out practically speaking in terms of how this relates to InTown U or community groups or what we're doing on Sunday morning. So we're going to look at worship, we're going to look at mission, we're going to look at city, uh, we're going to look at community, and we're going to look at theology. So those are kind of the big five pieces, and um, we'll go through them relatively quickly. And unlike a sermon where you just have to sit there and listen to me and you can't raise your hand or you know, say, hey, well, I don't understand that, please feel free to raise your hand to interject. Uh, that's perfectly fine as long as it's you know, germane to the subject that we're talking about. And then at the end, I'll give a, ch- a chance for some questions both about this content as well as any, anything else that you are interested in about in town uh, this particular semester. So let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for the people that you have gathered here to be your people um, with a purpose, that it's no accident that we're here, it's no accident that in town is here, that you um, planned this long before, and that you care about us, that you care about our mission so much more than we do. And Father, I pray that this would be a time where we see new things about what you are calling us to do, uh, that we would connect with those things more fully. And, uh, Father, would you inspire us to carry out whatever piece of the puzzle we may be responsible for, or not yet responsible for, that we would do it uh, with a hope uh, that you will be present and that you will uh, bring beauty to bear upon these places of our church and these places of our city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me talk, um, I was kind of thinking about this in terms of a little bit about not just what we're doing this semester, but who we are as a church, philosophically, uh, theologically, what drives us. And so some of this, if you have attended a, an intro to in-town meeting, uh, this may be a little bit familiar, not all of it, but some of the phraseology may be similar. And you'll say, oh, that's what we talked about. That's our, our philosophical underpinnings about worship, per se. And that's what I wanted to talk about first, is worship, because as we look at the book of Ephesians, it's all about worship. And the first 14 verses uh, are thought by many to actually be a hymn of worship. But as I said in the sermon, uh, Paul gives us these big categories and these big words, but it's never abstract. 
It's never meant to just be lodged in your noggin. It's meant for you to do something, to change something in light of. And that's what worship does, is it functions to reorient the church's mentality, to remind us of things that are very central to us that we forget uh, so quickly, to renew our imaginations. And that's what these verses were. They're working on our imaginations. They're working on our desire. They're working on our affect. And so what Paul is doing is to try to catch his readers up into what God has done and what God is doing in the world. And it's in a very specific location. That is Ephesus. And what we're going to talk this morning is in a very specific uh, location that is in town embedded in the city of Portland. This is what God has done and this is what he is doing and what we hope for him to do. One of those things is, is worship. As you come to in town, if you come from a different tradition or even a different church, you are probably going to notice some subtle differences, maybe some big differences. And one of our strategies here, one of our hopes is to retrain people in their expectations of what worship is all about. And so on one hand, you may have come from a place that you've been trained to expect a rather dry, a rather cognitive, a rather intellectual experience in which the service is kind of a few announcements that lead up to the sermon. And the sermon is the most ex- important thing because that's where doctrine is delivered. That's where your, your, uh, um, your very uh, particulars are, are delivered. Your uniqueness is delivered. And so the, the service can feel pretty sermon-centric, and the sermon can feel like a lecture, a distribution thing, system of things you already believe. Or you may have come from a different tradition, and you've been trained to work yourself up into sort of of an emotional, cathartic type of experience. And if you don't feel something on a particular Sunday, it ain't working, right? If you leave without feeling something, then obviously nothing really happened. Well, neither of these approaches represents the fullness of what worship should be, because both miss an aspect of how God himself is the author of worship. Though the music, as we sing, can be delightful, it can be uh, very profound, the primary goal is not to be entertained. The primary goal of the music is to be high quality, but to draw you into worship, not to be entertained. And the preaching, though it's desired to make you think, to change your categories, to challenge your presuppositions, the primary goal is not for us to be intellectually stimulated alone. But what we come to worship, and what I uh, Im- implore you to do this semester, is to come to worship expecting for God to illumine you, to illumine our church, that we'll have major flashes of self-discovery, that we'll have spiritual surgery done on our hearts, and that we'll be transformed, that we'll be remade. And keep in mind, we'll be talking about this in a moment, but Ephesians is written to a church And so be careful as you read not to import me, my, I in all of these verses. It's valid to some degree, but this is written to a community that's in mission in Ephesus. And so keep that in mind, that we are coming as a group to be illumined, to be changed, to discover who we've been made to be. So we hope you'll come regularly and often, but not to get your fix whether it's a fix of Reformed doctrine or it's a fix of emotional enthusiasm, that that's not the purpose. We want you to come asking, 
how can I worship God this Sunday in a way that will spill over into my life, into my relationships? And if that's not happening, let's talk. Worship. Now, mission. Where, where do we get that in the first couple of verses of Ephesians? Did he mention anything about mission? Well, we are, if you're in Christ, caught up into the program of God who gave himself for what? For your redemption and for the redemption of the whole world. And in so far as you are in Christ, you are brought into his program. You're brought into and aligned with what he wants to see happen throughout his creation, particularly in the creation that you inhabit in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your workplace. And so an essential part of being a Christian is that you are missional, that you are set in mission. And just as God gave His Son for the world, you must understand yourself as being given for the world. Not out of your own qualities, but because you are in Christ, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then as you move out into the world, you're bringing the aroma of Jesus. You're bringing His truth, His light to bear upon your relationships. And so the church is then a gathering of people who assemble to gather strength in order to then wander into the world with the hope that they've been renewed in. That we walk then into places of darkness and pain just as Jesus did. That that was what His mission was all about. To bring His resurrection power to work upon the lives of those that He interacted with daily and to set up this system, this plan that would carry out through the ages. And so that's our calling. And it's not done so that we can add to our numbers or add to our bottom line. It's just who we are. And so a church that's not in mission is a monstrosity. It's not a biblical church at all. And so what we would hope is that as we gather for worship, not just on Sunday morning, although that's the primary place, but in your community groups, as you gather even though you may not be doing a study, you may not be singing songs, you may not be interacting with particular content, you're there and you're gathered to worship and to bring Jesus into that mix and to have Jesus brought into yours. And that these would be places of contact with God, where God comes and meets with His people, that you would then think, maybe I can leverage that in this relationship. Not in a bad way, but how if this if I'm a part of this community group and this is where I'm meeting with God, then maybe I should invite my neighbor, my friend, to be a part of this community group or at least to come invited. Maybe they would never come here on a Sunday morning, but a community group may be a great place to start. And that these programs, programs would be designed with the unbeliever in mind. That we are going to give thought at every level of what we do as a church most importantly, starting with the Sunday morning worship service, we're going to give thought to the outsider, to the person who doesn't agree, the person who comes in with skepticism, the, the de-churched and the unchurched. And we're going to be asking ourselves, what do they hear when they sit in this pew? What do they hear when they come to my community group? What do they hear when they come to our Bible study? We're not going to presume at any of these events that it's all a bunch of Christians there, even if it is. We're going to presume that we want someone else to be there. So we're going, to, we're going to think about the empty pew, the person who's not there. What are their presuppositions? What are their objections? What are their needs? 
that's mission. That's not all we could say about mission, but that's, that's some of what I wanted you to think about. City. We're obviously people from a variety of backgrounds here, and we're from a variety of geographic locations, and so we never want to suggest that living in, doing ministry in one context is better or more noble or more holy than any, any other. However, at the same time, we are a church in Portland, in a specific place in the city, and the letter to Ephesians was a circular letter, but it was written to Ephesus, to a church that existed in a very specific place, in a very specific geography. And so wherever I live, wherever we live, we try to live according to the way that that Paul is instructing us in Ephesians, that we live in a way that doesn't bow to the present power structures that exist in my neighborhood, in my community, in my larger city. But we'll live in a way that that reflects a belief that Ephesians is true, and that God has his, set, his sight set on redeeming not only individual people, but redeeming physical reality. And it takes a bit of retraining to walk around your neighborhood thinking about what is broken about this place? What is not working well? Who is being oppressed? Who is the outsider? And how does Jesus' idea and the way that he loves his creation and the way that he wants to work to redeem his creation How does that implicate me? What do I need to notice? What do I need to see? And then what in my limited power and resources could I possibly bring to bear upon that? And then reaching for the Holy Spirit and saying, I can't do this on my own. I need you to empower this. The same questions could be asked of a community group that happens to meet in a very specific location, in a very specific neighborhood. What are are the things that are not right? What are the things that are not at peace in this neighborhood? And how could our community group be a part of bringing peace, of bringing shalom, biblical shalom into this area? And certainly, we as a church have to ask that. We are placed here. Most of us are not original to this church. Most of us weren't involved with the deciding where this church was going to be started. But now that we're here, we need to look around and say, okay, 10th Avenue, 11th Avenue, Clay, we're here. Why are we here? Why this place and not Inner East Side? Why this place and not Gresham? Why, what, what needs to be done here? Who's coming? Who will come? Who would come? Who needs to come to this place? How can we help our city become a more beautiful place that reflects Jesus' glory and what He wants to see happen? So we ask ourselves, who in our city is unloved? Who in our city is unclean? These are the people that Jesus walked deliberately towards in his ministry. And if we're going to be people of the way, people of Jesus, we need to be asking those questions. Where do the unloved live? Where is the outsider? And not necessarily how do we get them here, but how do we love on them? How do we provide for them? How do we heal their wounds? So it's not abstract what we're called upon to do. We're called upon to serve in a very specific location. And we need to be sensitive to the city that we actually inhabit. Our city is self-consciously non-Christian. In many ways, very spiritual, but self-consciously non-Christian. They've said no to Christianity in a very deliberate way in general. And so we can't expect 
that our neighbors would necessarily share our values or understand our in-house vocabulary. They'll find it odd or even narrow-minded. And yet these are the people that in town has been called to minister to, and so it'll therefore take a very sustained, very creative, very winsome effort to bring the gospel into someone's life who at first glance finds it narrow-minded and oblique and probably oppressive. What do missionaries in new territories do? If you go to Africa, if you go to the Eastern Bloc, wherever, in new territories, you adapt your approach to the surrounding language that you hear and that exists there, and you adapt your approach to the surrounding culture. It's not a compromise of biblical truth or the gospel. It's actually how you work it into that culture. What they do is they adapt. They raise up indigenous leaders. They don't expect to grow a church by transferring people from other churches to their churches. They don't expect that people will line up because they have a better worship service. They have better preaching. They have better child care because there's no Christians there. So that'd be silly. Missionaries, and what I mean by this is that we're missionaries in a a post-colonial sense. We're not coming to bring dominion, (laughs) our own. We're not coming to eradicate the cultural or personal heritage that someone has. We're coming to find common ground, common values, and then align them with the better answers of the gospel. And so we can walk into a city like Portland that's very much in opposition as a whole to the claims of the gospel and yet not be threatened and not adopt this us-them mentality. It's not us versus them. It's us who have been, not by our own works, chosen to be aligned with Jesus and his gospel chosen by him in order to be sent out. And so we need to be sensitive to how these words like conversion or mission or reaching someone with the gospel are heard in a post-colonial society. Those send up red flags everywhere. So how do we learn to talk about Jesus, talk about the gospel here, as well as in our personal lives in ways that draws people in, that kind of surprises them, that helps them doubt their doubts? That's really the first step of having someone interact with Jesus is that they have to doubt their own presuppositions and their own understanding of what Christianity is. It means that we're always thinking for and planning for the outsider that we choose to speak as much as possible in the vernacular with words, with illustrations, with the books that people on the street happen to be reading. And so, therefore, my illustrations, Steve's illustrations on Sunday morning, aren't necessarily from church history. They may be, but what I want to do is to connect with something that someone might be reading out there in a way that connects with the Bible, way that connects with what we're trying to get across in the sermon and say, see, some of this you're already thinking, you're already reading, you're already appreciating, let's, let's change that and let's turn it towards what Jesus says about that. So we're going to try to speak in a way that actually lands appropriately in the lives of the people that are here and that we want to, want to be here. We're in a context where few people are familiar with traditional Christian terminology. And so if we use that sort of terminology, we're going to try and explain our terms. This morning, predestination, for example, that's a, I mean, people would come 
off the street and think, well, this is exactly what I thought you Christians were all about, you know, the chosen ones, the special people. And so we need to reframe the words, and actually we're reframing it according to what the Bible is actually saying, not what we want it to say. We're not toning it down, we're trying to translate it into uh, a way that the culture can understand. And then they can reject it, but let's let, we hope they'll reject it for the right reasons, not because of what they've picked up on in the media or whatever. Avoiding us, them, attitudes that are disrespectful or fearful or dismissive to non-Christians. And make all of our aspects of ministry safe for the unbeliever, safe places for doubt, safe places for people who are different. That just like a missionary doesn't expect for people in Thailand to come and all of a sudden adopt Western ways of thinking and Western modes of dress and Western morals, we want people to come in as they are with their cultural heritage, with who they are as persons. Because the gospel, Jesus doesn't eradicate us as individuals. He takes us and reframes us and remakes us. And so we want people to be in process and for that to be okay, for that, us to be comfortable with that, for us to love that, that there's a diversity that exists in this congregation, hopefully, because we're reaching Portland, even though Portland, you know, is heterogeneous in some ways. Theology. Um, we're a Reformed church. If you didn't know that, we're a Reformed church. We're a Presbyterian church. We have a rich theological heritage that we hope we can capitalize on for you to, for us all to be challenged, to reframe our own theological systems and heritage in light of that. However, we don't expect everyone here to be necessarily Calvinist or Paedo-Baptist or even Reformed. That's another way we allow people to be in process, to be a part of this community without necessarily understanding or agreeing with every jot and tittle of what we believe the Bible teaches. Predestination talk in Ephesians. There's countless speculative conversations and books written about uh, this idea that takes it and translates it in terms of Paul giving a systematic overview of who's in and who's out and how we know. And so therefore that passage or that verse could very that word could very quickly be something that becomes a point of pride rather than shaping our humility and rather than shaping the identity of people of God for service. As we look back in Genesis, I think Steve you probably did where he went, the Genesis 12 where Abraham is called out of Ur and God says to him, "I want to bless you so that what? Not so that you can say, "Hmm, I'm predestined, but so that you can be of service, so that you're chosen in order to bring the message of the hope for the world in Jesus to other people. So we don't want to hijack passages like this as if they're commenting on who's in and who's out. Instead, the gift of election is the gift of a new history, a new backstory, a new love story, and a new purpose. It's a calling of service and love. So practically speaking, Predestination, election, has to do with what? Serving in the nursery. <laughs> predestination has to do with inviting your neighbors to come and participate in worship, to come and hear what you're hearing. Predestination has to come with loving and serving your spouse or your coworker or your child. Predestination has to do with not holding grudges, but offering forgiveness quickly and fully. 
if our theology that we hold to be dear, Reformed, Presbyterian, if that ever becomes for us a badge of honor, if it ever becomes for us a means by which we separate deliberately from other Christians or other people, then we've misunderstood what the doctrines of grace are all about. We've misunderstood the whole point of the Reformation. We've misunderstood Jesus. And so we want everyone to come every Sunday morning asking, how can I better understand Jesus? How can I be more humbled? How does my theological viewpoint foster unity and not division? One other just simple illustration that I've used before that we think about um, theology and other Christians and joining together with other, other churches who are different from us, who have a different tradition. If you think about uh, the Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, when they're at home, they're very much aware of their distinctives. You know, I'm not the Air Force, I'm the Marines, you know. I'm, I'm a Marine, I'm not a Navy guy. The Navy gives me rides to the battlefield. You know, so they're all, they're all aware of and very proud of their distinctives. But when they're on the battlefield, when they're deployed, they couldn't care less who's next to them who has a gun, right? As long as they're firing in the same direction, they're their brother, they're their sister. And that's how I think about being a church in Portland. Not that Portland is our enemy. The, the illustration breaks down that there, but that the person across the street who comes from a different theological heritage but yet loves Jesus, well, they're our brother and sister, and we can join with them. And we don't have to distinguish ourselves from them over and over and over ad nauseum because it makes us feel proud. Instead, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the great creeds that bind us together and that unify us to do mission to do what Jesus wants to do in this city. All right, one more, and then just a couple of practical considerations. We've talked about community already, but let me tease it out a little bit more, that we are, if you're a Christian, you're in Christ, you're embedded in Him, that you've been brought into the life of God, but you've also been brought into the life of everyone that is in Christ. And so you're embedded in each other's lives. You've been brought into whether you like it or not, into everyone else's life that is in Christ, and particularly those who live here at Intown. And so when we are reading Ephesians, we need to uh, resist always hearing me and my and I. Because what Paul is saying is y'all. <laughs> He's saying y'all, the church at Ephesus, the church at Intown, the community that you embody. It's a, a letter written to a community, and it's read in community. That's Back then, they didn't have their own Bibles that they could go into their own homes and read. You had to go to the synagogue. You had to go to a particular house for gathered worship. There was probably a piece of one book a or one letter. And so Ephesians was read in gathered worship. That's its context. And so just continue to reset or at least remind yourself that it's not just about you in your own life, in your own family, but it's you in Christ in this body. In Town U, we're starting again and talk about that as connected to community because we're doing a series. If you noticed in the sermon, uh, in the bulletin this morning, uh, the title of our series for Ephesians is Practice Resurrection. 
Resurrection is a, a theological fact to be believed, but it's something that gets embedded into your life. It's something to be lived out, something to be done. And that's a phrase that Eugene Peterson, uh, I believe coined, but at least used for one of his books, practice resurrection. And so what we thought is we thought about kind of adult education now that we have an opportunity to actually do it in a way that is, um, you know, quiet and doable, whereas in the past it's been so crazy doing it up here with everyone walking in and out and so forth. We have a room downstairs that we can use. So how would we think about this? Well, taking this idea of practice resurrection and actually teasing that out in those classes, what does it mean to practice resurrection, practically speaking, in our lives? And so we're focusing on some of the personal uh, spiritual disciplines that bring resurrection to bear upon your own life. Um, We're focusing on the personal, but Paul is consistently focusing on the corporate. And so what we're going to try to do in these classes is to talk about personal, family, individual disciplines that send you out to others. Silence, giving, reading your reading the Scriptures, prayer, that all of these things are not self-referential, but they're meant to equip you for acts of service, for practicing resurrection. They don't end in and of themselves. They're not an end in and of themselves. And so we don't come to these things, even in our own private devotions, to get our personal fixes, but to learn how to live out the mission of Jesus within community. And so come to In Town You, asking that. Asking those questions. We'll have six classes on the practical, personal disciplines. I know Steve is going to be teaching. Lyle, you're going to be teaching. Uh, Dave Carlson is going to be teaching. Uh, Hannah, I believe, is going to be teaching. We've got a number of fantastic teachers. And so take advantage of those classes. They'll be three in a row, then take a two-week break, and then three in a row. And then we'll start something else uh, during uh, the next spring, perhaps during Advent. Um, they'll start ten, downstairs 10 minutes after the service. And when in-town you adults is happening, in-town you kids is happening. They're going to be looking at the story of the Bible, engaging them with, with trained and trusted leaders who have done this before. They'll be split into kind of age groups to relearn the story, relearn about what the Bible calls them to. Um, children's Church is starting again. So we're giving them their own place to learn, their own place to interact with Scripture. It's not because they're loud, uh, though some undoubtedly are, um, but it's because we want them to, to meet with Jesus in terms that they can understand, that they can get, and for there to be adults who are, who are building relationships with our kids, that when they come to church, they don't just know their parents and maybe their parents' friends, but someone's actually actively investing in them and thinking for them and knows their name and ask them how they're doing. So that started today, and that'll be every, every Sunday. Two more practical things very quickly. One is budget. And you're thinking, okay, well, here's this pitch. Here's the real reason we're here, right? Uh, well, no, but it is central. And so what I want us all to be challenged with this semester is do we buy into our calling as it is connected to this church to the extent that we're willing to give sacrificially to make it happen. This is where our our rhetoric about how much we love in town is actually challenged. 
And if we're not able to give to the best of our ability to this particular church, then we probably ought to start looking for another church. And no problem whatsoever, no hard feelings. And I hope none of you leave, but what I'm saying is if you're not excited to be here, if you're not excited to think creatively and strategically about how to give abundantly to this particular church, then find one that you are. Because I'd much rather them get the abundance of your resources and be able to do something that is exciting for the kingdom than for you to just kind of, you know, come because it's convenient. Communication. That's my one thing for the budget. Keep watching. We're trying to communicate, maybe over-communicate with you guys. Um, we're, we're generally okay, but we could be better. <laughs> and I would feel much safer and excited if we were a little bit better. But so far, um, you guys have been fantastic, and we're within kind of shouting distance of where we need to be. So just go back and think and pray and um, consider if there's any way that you could make up for um, lost ground or give additionally. Um, communication, just a couple of uh, things. I sent kind of a blast email out to everyone that I didn't, that wasn't on our email list asking if we could be. And I, it's one of those things that we talk about sort of regularly and, and then oftentimes you just forget. And so there's an email list, sign-up sheet on the back table. And this is just, this is the way that we communicate um, primarily during the week is over email. And so if you're not on our email list, you really need to be on our email list. You can also find us on Facebook, um, just Facebook.com slash church and Twitter uh, and even Instagram now. So if you want to post some pictures, you can hashtag them and, and we'll be happy to put them up there as long as they're, you know, appropriate. Um, so we just want you guys to not be surprised by things. We want you to know what's going on because this is your church. This is what you've bought into, presumably. Uh, and if your member's taking vows to. And so we want to be as... as um, uh, you know, consistent as possible at getting the message out. Not just, here's what's going on, but here's how we can learn to better serve our city because we love Jesus. So that's some communication thing. So please, either go to the website, write it on the back sheet. We'll get it, we'll get it plugged in. Um, conclusion, and then we'll do some questions. Uh, Katie was asking me yesterday, you know, what, what's the what's the main thing that you want to communicate tomorrow? Like, what, what do you, is there a word, is there a phrase, is there something that um, you're hoping that people would get after this time? And I just, without even thinking, I just said, commit. You know, like, commit. And that sounds kind of, you know, rah-rah, whatever. But I don't mean step up with, like, greater energy and you guys need to be doing more and I need to be doing more and giving more and whatever. But what I meant, even if that word wasn't the right kind of synonym for this idea is that I want us to see our individual lives through the mission of this church. And again, as I said, related to money, if that's not, if that's not happening for you, then let's work together and figure out a place that it can. Because it's doing no one any good, you in particular, to just be kind of unhappy or not pleased and not excited. Let's find a place that you can be excited. Um, and uh, so let's begin to try to see our lives through the mission of the church that we've chosen to be a part of. And my purpose is that 
I want to help us to see the gospel take shape in our individual lives and our corporate life together through the local church. And then to for that enthusiasm, what we realize about the gospel, what we understand about God's great love for us and his grace, that that then compels us to serve and to be verbal about it and um, give our lives away to one another and to the world. So that's it. Um, probably too much. There's a lot of pondering looks out there. Um, what, what questions do you have or what thoughts do you have? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one of the things that we've been working on over the summer is going back through kind of our, our organizational chart to make sure that all of the staff and all of the, the servant leaders and so forth kind of know their role, know who's ultimately in charge, know the reporting structure and all that, because there was a lot of great things happening, but everyone wasn't sure who was doing what, and you know, you'd have to send an email to 10 people because you didn't know who was actually responsible for it and so forth. And so Lori Carroll has been really instrumental in helping us think through that, uh, Abby Nelson as well. Um, and so what we're doing is trying to restructure a couple of things. And one of the things that was happening but in the background had so many moving pieces that people would kind of plug in and then get frustrated or just kind of like, I don't know what to do, uh, is one big thing is just Sunday morning set up and break down. I think it's, it's populated pretty well now. Abby can correct me. I think we've got people in place, but there's always missing pieces and there's always ways to serve. Hosting a community group is always a great thing. I know Steve has, has got um, his mind set on a couple of different places around the city where there's a cluster of people. And uh, so hosting a community group is one. Um, come serve at the rescue mission one night uh, it's a great way to just get exposure to what's happening downtown among the the people who are are um, you know dealing with food scarcity and so forth, uh, and that may you know prick your mind to be creative in your own you know sphere of relationships and so forth. Um, so yeah, and just just email me you know if you ever want to uh, serve in a different way. We need people just to do meals for people when they're sick when they're bedridden, when they have a new baby, that sort of thing. Uh, we'd love to expand that list. So those are just, I'm sure when I leave, I'll think, oh, why didn't I say that and that and that? So um, watch the emails. What else? Someone else? Yeah, Constance. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. As as perhaps a, an inhibition or a hurdle for being a part of the church. Is that what you mean? So in that that might over communicate our focus upon money. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, might be off-putting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm certain that someone could walk in and and find that as offensive, and that's why we we do try to during offertory communicate not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And this is being a part of the church involves our money and involves giving and involves sacrifice. And so, I would hope that that would be understood, but perhaps it's not. Meg? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, not to open up a huge discussion about that, but what are other people's thoughts on kind of giving real estate in our bulletin to our giving Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I I don't want to over-communicate that every single piece of this is built for the outsider. We still are a church. We still have institutional realities that have to be communicated and taken care of. And so um, there are <clears throat> many parts of what we do as a church that may be kind of off-putting or misunderstood. Um, so, But I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's not something I've thought about in the past as being you know, that big of a deal, um, but I'll, I'll definitely give it some consideration. Yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Make it smaller. Okay. Liz? Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great thought. Well, Liz was just saying that coming back into in-town after being away for a while, it, it felt fine for her seeing that. Um, I don't think you guys heard her. Yeah, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, Lori? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and just as a practical matter, uh, we have an email list of about 190 people. Um, and I was looking over this week as I was traveling at the list, and I don't know, 40% of them are people that don't live in Portland that you were connected in some way within town way back, you know, or have a friend who goes here or something. And so our email list, and that's why I've been trying to pitch it, is is not really communicating. We can't really trust it at this point to get the get the word out. That's why we communicate across as many different channels as we can. So what else? Any other questions or comments? Okay, I, I think the the workers are probably ready for you guys to go come get your kids. So we'll in there. But our door is open and I say our the leadership uh, elders, pastors, uh, if you have any fr- follow-up questions or comments or any of that, please do um, take advantage of that. We're available to go grab lunch, grab coffee, grab a beer, or just answer email. So um, please do. If you have anything, any question, don't don't sit on it. We'd love to love to let you know what's going on. All right. Thanks, guys and ladies. <laughs> <laughs>